Hi, and welcome to the Saturday Brunch podcast. It's Nigel Creaser here, your host, and uh, this is our second one of these in the year. Uh, it's a fantastic interview, a lady called Dr. Karen Thompson, who is talking to me about responsible project management, which uh, I got introduced to at Synergy in November last year, the PMI Synergy event. And uh, I found it, uh, it's an area of um, project management skill set and of well management and, and all of our lives really around understanding what the impact of what we do. Um, and one of the things that Karen said was obviously as project managers, we change the world and sometimes it's not always for the good. So we need to be thinking about what the impact we have. So I uh, won't chatter for too long and uh, I'll be back after the interview. So today I am joined on this episode of the Saturday Brunch interview um, by Dr. Karen Thompson. Karen is Head of Education and Professional Practice in the Department of Leadership Strategy and Organizations at Bournemouth University. She's an experienced practitioner uh, and she's turned to an innovative academic. Uh, Most recently she's passionate about transforming project management practice and education through research um, that explores the creative, ethical and human dimensions of projects. Um, Her current research include the application of responsible project management in the context such as refugee camps and the development of local action to achieve net zero targets of greenhouse gas emissions. And it's around this uh, responsible project management that uh, Karen and I are going to talk about. So Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Nigel. Thank you for inviting me to come on your podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. So uh, we bumped into each other at um, the PMI Synergy event uh, back in November. And uh, I was fascinated. I think it was as part of the um, the, the, the format, there was a, a discussion around circular economies. And in the Q&A, um, at, partway through that, you kind of presented and talked a little around uh, the responsible project management uh, context and I think um, I, I think the previous day you'd um, had a session on on kind of launching or talking that not far from from where that event was it was one that I was, I'd looked at as as potentially going to both but couldn't quite get the time to go to both um, so do you want to just just tell the listeners what um, responsible project management is and I think I've got the book in front of me the title a guide to responsible project management by yourself and your co-author Nigel Williams um, do you want to tell us some more about it? Indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Nigel. Yes, the, the day before we met, we had just come up to the University of Westminster to do a London launch of the Manifesto for Responsible Project Management. Now, just to rewind a little bit, that came out of what I would call social learning research, which was bringing together practitioners Uh, academics, researchers and students from not just from the field of project management, but we had economists, we had a materials science person there and an, uh, an environmental lawyer. So different disciplines to begin thinking about what being responsible might mean in the context of project management. And I suppose the backdrop to that is that those of us in 
project management, I'm sure all your readers will relate to this, recognise the power of projects to, projects change the world. Um, so there's been lots of great work done on trying to bring sustainable development in touch with project management. There have been all sorts of initiatives, both from the practice side, so creating new frameworks, for example, to start to reflect the ideas of sustainable development within project management, and academics have been um, researching on that side as well. So we brought that mixed group together for several reasons. Um, Firstly, a lot of research in project management has been accused of being not very relevant to practice. So my mission for quite a while has been to bring the different groups together to learn together. Um, so both myself and my colleague Nigel, we're both former practitioners, although these days, although we would still say we do manage projects, we don't manage the sort of the very big projects in many of the um, sort of exciting industries where projects take place. So we recognise that we need to learn from practitioners and we would hope that having the opportunity in our sort of environment to sit and contemplate things occasionally, um, that we perhaps can sort of put together some learning that might help practitioners on the ground. Um, and it's also about giving a sort of a voice um, to practice. So we held our first social learning workshop in 2018, um, produced the guide that I believe you have the first edition copy uh, in front of you. Um, by the following July, we held another workshop and the group was slightly larger then and some people came back and other new people joined us. Um, and we took to that meeting a draft manifesto. And again, I'm sure your, your uh, listeners in the project management world will obviously know the probably the biggest change to happen in project management was Agile. And that, of course, started with a manifesto with um, a few signatures. So that was where we took our inspiration. Um, so very dynamically during that workshop, we refined our initial ideas for what the manifesto might look like. And that went from having eight principles to having 10 and a clear statement that really is all about trying to um, encourage and support project professionals to expand their role by advocating for beneficial change, meaning that we actually don't just look at the, the economic side of a project, but we also look at the impact on the environment and on society. Um, so where our work differs from many of the other initiatives on sustainable development is um, we're sort of calling for a new type of project manager and we are, uh, I, I guess you could summarize it by saying we're trying to change what project managers believe about themselves, their roles and their projects. Because certainly back in 2018, when we were talking to project managers, they really didn't see some of these um, concerns. They saw them as being outside of the scope of their interest, influence, I suppose. In the next 12 to 12 to 15 months, I suppose, that narrative has changed completely. <laughs> We've obviously had lots of um, um, attention on the media with people like Greta Thunberg and David Attenborough, um, Extinction Rebellion, there's been lots of action. And now, of course, that's moved along still further and we have many governments around the world, both the local level and the national level, declaring targets to reduce greenhouse gases. So not only is there now public um, 
pressure, so we say, certainly risk climate change, which we would argue is maybe the most urgent and most pressing of all the big challenges that uh, face society at the moment, but it's probably only the first of many. Um, one of the issues we've highlighted with much of the work on sustainable development tends to have an environmental focus and the importance of um, not, certainly not making worse the divisions in society and hopefully um, making those, um, uh, those divisions less. So um, we very much have aligned with the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, a lot of which are about eradicating poverty, for example, clean, clean water. So there are environmental um, goals in there, but there are also societal goals in there. Um, and I certainly take the view that if we don't, we can't act on th those things separately. The climate, climate uh, emergency, as many governments and um, councils have called it, um, that has the potential to make the divisions um, in society worse. And similarly, if we don't tackle the divisions in society, then our ability to actually act on climate change is hampered. So I see the two things as very much interlinked. So we launched the manifesto. Um, in Bournemouth on the, in July and we then came to London to talk to a much wider audience and to do what we called the London Launch, which is when Nigel, you and I met. Um, and now that manifesto has got well above 80 signatures. So we've engaged with something in excess of 24, 25 universities, not just in the UK, but in Europe and also Boston University in America. Um, we've had participants from there. We've also engaged with a number of large organizations. Um, I should perhaps have said the original work, certainly the style of the book you have in front of you, was inspired by collaboration between Arab, APM, and UCL, who envis envisioned the future of project management. That was in 2017. And I certainly liked the approach they had taken to their publication, it was very different. It wasn't a heavyweight academic text. It was very engaging. Um, and so we produced an A5 booklet along those same sort of, same sort of lines. Um, yeah, I, f I found it a very, um, uh, considering that the topic, it is, is quite a, um, could be quite a heavy topic. I found the, the, the way that you've presented it quite approachable from my point of view and, and kind of um, something that, I, I know it might sound silly, but there's one that I sort of half thought about giving my teenage daughter to read um, because I thought that it would, well, she's not in project management, obviously, just that whole, the whole <laughs> thing about, I, I, I didn't know about the sustainable UN goals as a, as a, oh, right. as an adult, I don't even know those. So it's something that, um, that was new to me and some of the context that you've got in here is very new to me. And I think it's something that it's probably even uh, from, from it being the project management um, basis, I think there's still really useful information. And I, I think the water aid um, illustration that you've got in there, I know I, I've heard quite a few things around that, around the fact that, that one of the big um, disparities with climate change is, is certain areas of the world are getting too much water. Other areas are getting less than they can get at. And, and we're busy shipping water around in bottles all over the place as well, which doesn't help. 
Well, thank you for your kind words about the, um, the, the style. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that that was certainly our objective to make it accessible. Um, and it's also already being used. I think some of our academic colleagues in other universities are using it as a, a teaching resource. Um, it certainly doesn't pass the sort of the academic test of sort of peer review. Um, and it's not supported by, well, it's supported by research that is social learning, in other words, learning together. Um, so there's a lot more work to be done. And we very much set out in that, uh, that booklet, that was just the start of a conversation. Yeah, and, and, I, th and I think it does uh, raise the questions, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, one of our premises is that we're very good, humanity as a whole is very good at focusing on solutions and project managers tend to be driven by delivering solutions. But actually, what we face at the moment is so much more complex and difficult. We've never had to solve these types of problems before. We actually need to learn to ask much better questions and to listen and develop our understanding before we automatically necessarily jump into a solution. Yeah, yeah, that's fair point, fair point. So looking at looking at the um, I'm picking up a point you said earlier, really around uh, the sort of feedback you got from the project management community of, well, it's it's not my, it's not for me to do, it's not in my um, area of expertise as a project manager to be able to influence um, all of these different. Um, elements of of a project or or an organization and i i, I kind of can see that because that's one of the things i sat as i was reading it that challenged me on it was how could i um I'm a lowly project manager in an organization and even with myself i'm um in the role i'm in i'm not within an organization i'm a con consulting to an organization and therefore and, and, and i think there's quite a lot of project managers in that role the the decisions on some of these items and how the organization is going it's it kind of sits at that project sponsor level at your sro level where some of these decisions or some of these directions of in fact are you doing the right project cancel the damn project in some cases is, and it's not something that the the pro, it, sometimes the sponsor is not engaged enough in that sometimes a sponsor wouldn't necessarily be bold enough to do that and certainly as a pm a job in pm it's quite a bold um scenario to say actually i don't think we should be doing this because of one of these principles for example or like that what how do you how do you see that going forward and that's kind of it's probably not very a very easy answer to a quite a, a complex question i can certainly um touch on how we see that going forward but but indeed and i mean my experience from really from a very long time ago um was that projects have a habit of developing a life of their own mm -hmm. um project managers role is in effect if you take it literally is to do themselves out of a job so it's not really surprising that sometimes projects that perhaps should have been strangled at birth or certainly <laughs> once you get into uncovering the information and the knowledge you need to take it forward people get very resistant to um i mean there's a whole uh, whole lot of research around cognitive dissonance um, once people commit to an idea it can get very difficult to separate them from that so i absolutely recognize where you're coming from and i think obviously many other people we spoke to in the early days were certainly aware of that but one of the things we also were aware of, although people said I don't have the power to influence these things, um, project managers or even 
So the, the goals and the aims and the um, initiation document or the management plan, depending on whose terminology you're using, may set out the project and the objectives may be set by sponsors and so forth. As project managers, we do actually influence an awful lot of that. Um, going forward, there are decisions we're making or facilitating being made all the time, that's really the role of the product manager. Um, so I suppose another driver to this was professionalization, because as you're your listeners will be aware um, all the professional bodies are engaging with that now. Now that the APM has got charter status and both the APM and PMI have got their code of conduct, so their ethics, um, they had a look at ethics and are uh, incorporating that within practice. So as a profession, I think we are moving from, if you like, being plumbers who simply do what we're told to starting to assume a much wider responsibility because that's what professionalization means it means accepting that you don't just do something because somebody tells you to do it you actually have a wider responsibility to do the right thing as opposed to just doing things right if I can make that um, that distinction so very rapidly I think we sort of it felt a bit or it still feels a bit like being on the crest of a wave because the tide turned almost at pretty much at the same time that we were starting this work. So the narrative very quickly has switched from this isn't my role to yes, and yes, I want to do more of this, or we are doing a lot of this already, in which case, great, we want to hear about case studies to share those widely. Um, but also some, some organizations are saying, um, yes, we want to do this, but we don't really know how. Obviously, money still tends to talk and tends to drive decisions. So many of those challenges project managers are still facing, but they seem, our impression is that they are much more open to the conversations. Um, I presented to one group up close to London, and this would have been about July, about July time um, last year. And by then, that narrative had already shifted to, um, well, well, of course, we, of course, we, we, um, we make decisions. We, we, we can change things. We can, we can ask difficult questions. So, in terms of how that goes forward, um, we started to talk about project managers becoming advocates. But then I thought, well, okay, what does that actually mean? So we identified at least three. Not, not simple actions to do an act, but the headlines really, we can start asking difficult questions. And so no, there, there might be decisions that need to be made on a project and you as a project manager aren't taking those alone. But one of the things you can do is to ask challenging questions um, in terms of the stakeholders represented. Uh, and again, this will depend on the organizational context within which projects are happening. But we have a six stakeholder model. So in addition to the normal sort of stakeholders you might expect, obviously the investors, the suppliers, the users, um, you might well have, you might have commercial partners being the, the fourth one, but we also need to start working out how we give the environment and the local communities a voice. Um, I know one of the case studies Arup shared with us was the, um, one of the projects they'd worked on, they said, well, certainly we had five, of, well, they actually had all six represented, but they had the environment and the local community vested in the same person. Now, I think that's quite difficult because potentially the environment and the local community um, may not necessarily have the same objectives. So they may, there may be some tension there. So I think thinking about how those different six different stakeholders that we've identified, and in different projects, there may be a lot more than that. I've certainly seen some models with many more stakeholders represented. Um, but actually thinking about, and how do you give the environment a voice? 
Um, inevitably, that's through a person who will have their own biases and won't necessarily even speak for the whole environment. Sometimes there will be tension between um, life on Earth, life in the water, which are two of the, um, the uh, UN's uh, development goals. Um, so none of, none of these things are straightforward. Um, so asking difficult questions is one thing project managers can actively do. Um, I think we need to, to listen and learn, and this is a comment on society as a whole, really. Um, my own PhD research was around communication and in particular social media, in the use of social media in project management. And one of the things that I highlighted at that point in time was the fact that if you look on communication within project management, we are very good at telling the world about our projects. What we're not so good at is actually, and we might seek feedback on things we have sent out, but actually doing that horizon, horizon scanning and providing opportunities for stakeholders that we may not have identified at the start of the project to have a voice as things change, as, a, as we go through a project, that is very challenging. So one of the things we've done in, and I think it's in the version you've got of the, uh, the guide, um, is there's a, a, a new way of conceptualizing the project life cycle, which I've always thought has been a bit of a, um, uh, what's the word? Um, hasn't really made sense to me because we talk about a life cycle, but actually projects generally start and then stop. So the idea of circular economy, and I don't know whether all of your um, listeners will be familiar with the idea of the circular economy. Uh, I certainly heard a talk from Ellen McCarthy, Dame Ellen MacArthur, um, uh, is the drive, one of the driving forces now behind that initiative. Um, we're going back a few years now, when she, after she sailed around the world alone, she stepped off the boat and one of the things she suddenly realised was, we sort of throw stuff away, but there is no away. Hmm. It's our home, the planet is our home. So that's at the fundamental um, level is uh, the idea of the circular economy is there is no way and we need to learn from the natural cycles where things decay and then become the food for the next generation so there are some examples in business of one of the first ones that, I, that i'm certainly encountered was the idea that the best thing to make new carpet from is actually old carpet so it's that idea about building in reuse right from the beginning in terms of products um, but one of the things is that it's it's easier to green and I'm using that word in sort of inverted commas to, to ingrain a supply chain for a manufacturer. It's much easier to do that, and that can still be very challenging, than it is a project, because the nature of a project is that you normally have multiple supply lines um, yeah. and multiple contractors to deal with. So it's a much, much harder proposition. Um, but there are plenty of very, very promising signs as more, manu more manufacturers and more suppliers um, engage with the idea of your economy and look at their impact on the planet and on society um, it, it's, it'll eventually become much easier um, well I think that, I think the um, the takeaway I took from the from the, the event uh, about where the, the first time I'd really been aware of the circular economy phrase um, was at, at the synergy event and that that concept and I think there was and it makes absolute sense where you've got companies like I think it was mentioned was IKEA uh, as as an example of moving towards the the, the process of of you not owning furniture you um, rent it essentially from them and then they come and take it away when you finished with it and then they repurpose it and recycle it and it's kind of thing well by doing that what that does is turn that company into building those things so they come apart easier so that when they do get them they can 
take them apart quickly and effectively that they can be reused rather than just shred and reuse maybe they can be reused in other parts if they're in a decent enough condition etc etc and just that whole concept of it just um I found really uh, surprising and something I'd not thought of um, before. And again, I think was it mud jeans, um, the renting of jeans. I'm not someone who tends to buy a new pair of jeans every year, but if you are, um, their concept of you, you have a pair of jeans, you own them for a year and you give them back. And then they either get sold on or they get pulped and rebirthed into a new set pair of jeans. And from a business perspective, you sit there and think, well, that means they've got, that that material they use to make those jeans in the beginning how many times does it get used i imagine there's a life cycle on those but they're reusing it reusing it and reusing it and when they take it back the cost the cost benefits of that for an organization must be big as well so you'd actually yeah. get the benefits on that and i think you're, you're the the, re, the the project side of it, i think it's the nature of the project as you say is it's a uh, do it and finish it but if the organizations are saying well that project has to its end goal that it delivers has to um, and if I imagine if certainly like projects when they run as, as product projects we're creating a product the goals are going to change to be well we've got to be able to reuse the output over and over and over and over and building in those circular economies so part of the output of the projects will need to be a circular economy process handed over into the the operational organization absolutely i mean you, you've hit the nail on, on the head there and that's part of what we envisage about extending the role of the project manager not just to hand it over but to actually actually facilitate that sort of end of life recon, deconstruction reconstruction or whatever it is to facilitate those types of conversations is one of the areas where yeah. we've identified there's probably a need for new competencies and for project managers to start being aware that that is part of their role so that so that kind of like i mean i tease my area so part of my run cost has got to be uh, and part of the run handover has to be something where you're saying oh yes and this piece of uh, hardware we're going to use or this soft or whatever we're going to be using is going to get um choices being made that says well we we buy the hardware that has easier ways of recycling that hardware for repurposing it say for example or using one of the bigger cloud organizations that have a, a greener um and, and a more sustainable um power operation in their organization things top of my head that coming off there but i can see where you can start making decisions as part of your project and you need and they may actually cost you more financially mm. and therefore um maybe in the short term or maybe in the long term and certainly thinking about it is a cost for doing it as well so be having sponsors on board to pay those extra um uh, the reasons to do that and i know that the corporate social responsibility is a big um lots of organizations are, are focused on that nowadays how many of them are, are really focused on it or just sort of um doing it to be seen but i think the fact is if you're not even if it's not the greatest um of, of reasons for doing it behind it these are kind of things where the organizations can go well actually as part of our corporate social responsibility we put this in place in our everything that we deliver and every project we put in we do this and we consider this and we consider that and we consider the other and all of those items all the way along there are 
outputs of a project. Indeed, indeed. So you asked me where the conversation is going now. What we're now asking practitioners is, well, okay, so you've understood all of this. I don't, I think, I don't think there's very many people left that don't accept that there is, um, we need to be doing more to try and look after our home and other people. Um, but the, so the question now is just, we've, we've got some ideas and we've shared some ideas, like so the six stakeholder model. Um, but what is it you would like to be able what what are the project managers on the ground what would you like to be able to do and what do you wish you know knew or know um that would help you actually start making not just making better decisions yourself but being more able to facilitate discussions that lead to better decisions um because we're, we're not out there in all these different industries so and i'm sure some of the questions will be different and the knowledge needed in different industries um will be will vary a lot so that's why that's where that conversation is is now it's now we're starting to look at well our role primarily these days is about education so how can we be educating the next generation of project managers to be able to better do the things that you're currently sort of trying to do and feel you need to do. Excellent. So just thinking about the, the again, the, the, the manifesto, I, I suppose it, it's probably, obviously won't read the whole book out in front of it here. Um, but I, what I was going to say is, is that I've got the, um, the items in here and I was just going to let people know what they are. I'll, I'll quickly read the, the, um, uh, little uh, comments on there. I suppose if there's a couple that you want to pick out and kind of expand on a little bit, that sound like a good idea. Yes, indeed, I'm happy to do that. So if it's all right, just I'll read them all out and then we we'll go back to it. So the, the eight principles that we, or the ten principles we've got, sorry, are written down are the purpose. So understanding the intentions underpinning a project from different perspectives, awareness, which is exploring the possibility, possible impacts and implications that may otherwise remain uncovered and little discussed. Uh, curiosity, uncovering ethical complexity, surfacing conflict and unintended consequences. Uncertainty, recognizing unknowns, inviting new understandings and being repetitive, sorry, receptive to change with it, which when delivering a project is something that we try not to do. We want to try and deliver to the scope that we're given um, and planning to the next point of uncertainty. Anticipation, so facilitating the Evaluation of options and informed decision-making that anticipates different future scenarios. And creativity, recognizing the need for new ideas and innovation. So rather than just do it the same way, providing space and opportunities for that imagination. Uh, stewardship, so curating the experience for all of the stakeholders, protecting and nurturing and replenishing natural resources. And balance, uh, I've got there is striving for a, combine to combine short-term and long-term goals and triple win for people planet and profit which kind of is the one of the things i picked out as well recently was around the the di different from the triple constraints is having the triple focus of um a project being good for for the people involved in it people it affects being good for the planet effects and being a profit because you can drivel deliver to the triple constraints but not deliver any of those and then the final two that i, I haven't got the descriptions to myself we've got transparency which i think kind of feels straightforward i think being um and then engagement is the final one um so do you want to pick a couple of those out that you think you could kind of we drill down a little bit more 
Yes, I mean, people looking at, if they look at the, um, I should say the manifesto and the second edition of the guide are available as free downloads on our website. Um, and I've actually got the manifesto with the 10 on in, open in front of me. Cool. Um, and actually, we, <laughs> we didn't add those two onto the end. Uh, engagement became number three. That's and transparency became number eight and I suppose I mean engagement will you'll see that featuring in the booklet you've got because actually I built into that the work that came out of my PhD research which was looking at the zones of communication so you have a zone of communication that is all about participation in the project which is the stuff we all know and love mm. but then you have a zone of communication around engagement which was talking about winning hearts and minds not just of the team but of the people you need to support the project to make it a success um and then my third one was about oh gosh i'm struggling now to remember uh it was about connecting with the external world because and this links with the Point you were making about change and uncertainty and we managed within the scope once we set a project up um, we build a boundary around it in order to be able to manage scope the unfortunate side effect of that can sometimes be that that then isolates a project from the changes that are going on outside of its boundaries yeah the other problem that raises it that raises for projects that are the type of projects we, we're now having to face or to deal with is that it your boundary will be determined largely by the type of solution it comes back to my solution versus problem argument if you set up your project and your team and get certain experts in the in the room in the team um you are limiting other options i can give you an example um where many years ago i was involved in many many years ago before sustainable development was a thing um was involved in a project where the organization was convinced they needed a new computer system when i actually got in and analyzed it it was actually the management structures that were the problem but of course not only did they have an expectation that what they wanted to hear from me was recommendations for a new computer system um but also i wasn't necessarily a, the, the best person to advise them on sort of organizational design but it was certainly clear to me that um organization development was what they needed not a new computer system so th that's one of the problems i've seen many examples of in my career um where you're again it's putting the putting the cart before the horse if you start yeah. off with a solution of it and don't fully understand the problem um you can end up with a solution that is totally ineffective and doesn't actually deleve that deliver the change that you're hoping for um, yeah sometimes Sometimes you get organizations that have already been sold that solution by another organization as well. Absolutely. absolutely. And like you, my, my background was in um, uh, information systems and computing. So when people came to speak to us, they normally had an idea that they wanted a new computer system. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've got a friend of mine who works, uh, he has a, uh, a marketing agency. And um, quite often uh, they they'll have people contact them and and say right okay I need you to do me a new web page and I need you to do me a whole load of stuff on this on social media I need you to do that and it's kind of his view is is always well hang on a minute why do you need a new web page but I want more <laughs> cust I want more customers well why why do you think a web page is going to give you more customers yeah. you, and peel it back to what the requirement yes. is and as you say you look at what the the real problem is and answer the real problem and um that that um uh understanding sometimes is as you say they jump to the jump people jump to the mm -hmm. solution because they've seen the solution they've seen it working somewhere else and 
without the knowledge of it and setting back and thinking about it, it's, it's kind of a reasonable step to take, I suppose. Yes, yes. And that, of course, leads us nicely to the first principle, which is what that of purpose and understanding the purpose. Now, of course, the purpose will vary depending on who you ask about your project. Um, and I think one of the challenges we face with trying to um, contribute more to the sustainable development goals is that there's those stakeholders, so there is a much wider range of stakeholders involved now. Um, and even, I mean, any two people, even two team members won't have quite the same view about the purpose. So understanding that purpose from different perspectives. And it's not about saying, well, one person, one group of stakeholders is right and another is wrong. It's really about starting to seek out the areas of common interest, the areas you can agree on, um, but really driving it from that sense of purpose rather than the solutions orientation that um, so often we get sort of trapped into. Um, I suppose perhaps one of the most contentious principles, I'm, I'm just working down them really, no, the idea of conscious awareness, because you'll, you'll, on the manifesto you'll see the, um, yeah. the call is for, really our aim is to start encouraging and um, valuing conversations that are about conscious awareness uh, rather than ignorance of project impacts. So of course every project has a not only an economic context but they all have an environmental and a social context to them. So that conscious awareness is about just trying to surface more understanding and more awareness of what the intended and possibly unintended consequences of a project might be. I mean, we've seen so much of that played out at the moment recently with HS2. Um, and again, if, if you limit the stakeholders you're talking to in the beginning, you run the risk. I mean, there are many examples of sustainable development um, or sustainable, supposedly sustainable development projects, um, or projects not being sustainable because a group of protesters, say, has suddenly come into the frame or um, uh, and, and sort of wreaked havoc with uh, what might have been a nicely prepared pl project plan. Um, so trying to surface and to learn more about what those intended and unintended consequences might be, I think is important. Um, engagement, we've sort of addressed curiosity um and we've we introduced i'm not sure if they're in your version certainly ethics and the word ethical comes in in the certainly in the manifesto we've got curiosity uncover and address ethical complexity i don't think certainly as a project manager none of my training ever covered um developing my awareness of ethical complexity um, i'm sure some trainers and certainly some educators these days will be addressing that um, but, uh, yeah, because obviously ethical. That, the way I took that is that we've got the the fact that one person's set of ethics compared to another person's set of ethics are different. Yes, and and, and the 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 certain um, uh, direction of those ethics and what they mean are very different, um, and can be conflicting with different parties that you've got there. Um, it's, and, and it's one of those things that I think we all do. And I heard this in a, another concept of, of a, an organization that was being sponsored by an egg company. Um, and I know they had a lot of vegan um, people who, who were part of it. And the vegan people didn't believe, I think they challenged the fact that that wasn't an ethical thing for them to do. Now, it was a, the, the egg company was a, a very pro um what's it called free range animals etc but that that really demonstrates to me is those both one group assuming 
another an organization's ethics because on one um uh, sort of root of commonality between the two groups they were in line but then on something else they were at odds and they and the, i think there was a little bit of well how come how can you be this kind of person and not be that kind of person but uh, people's beliefs ethics and morals are very different um depending on the context that it's relating to yes yes and um respect is a big big thing for me respecting other people's um perspectives it's not about you're right and i'm i'm wrong or the other way around um mm. you have to start and it's much much harder of course to try and find areas of agreement and we don't and we also have to be comfortable with recognizing that we won't necessarily all agree on everything and we'll probably never get anything done if we waited for that point yeah. but it's about we can make the, the progress we can where there is common interest and common sort of motivation um uncertainty is the next one um one of the groups we worked with in developing all of this was the association of sustainability practitioners and certainly one of the learnings i took from them was very much you can only plan up to the next point of uncertainty and yet that contrasts quite quite sharply with the importance we place on planning in project management yeah. um, I mean, there is a growing understanding, I think, that projects do emerge um, and as we cover new, uncover new knowledge, so we can often put in place sort of quite um, rigorous change management processes to uh, address what we were talking about earlier about managing the scope. Um, but actually, if we're going to respond and actually do the best job we can do. We need to be open to that change rather than trying to, I always feel as a, as a professional project manager, you feel as though you're always fighting change. Yeah. Where actually we need to develop ways of approaching it much more positively. Um, so that was what that uncertainty principle is sort of alluding to. And I know it's so much easier to say it than it is to do, do it. Yeah, I, I think you've, you've got, um, but I do think that the, um, the, the sort of like enterprise level agile agility kind of conversations that have been happening over the the past few years and the 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 concept of of change being a change to what you're trying to deliver being bad um mm -hmm. is 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 changing i think and from my own experience and if someone comes to me now with a project piece of work and said well actually we need to change it now because of this i'd be like i'm an equi got this far we've got this much but organizationally if that's what needs to be done well that's what needs to be done it isn't about as you said these projects get the life of their own and they exist to deliver the project rather than to deliver the benefits and that in this way that the world changes these days so quickly is the benefits can quickly disappear because whatever organization if you're in a competitive market and suddenly a dip like the phone companies are probably a great one where um if you have um your competitor suddenly releasing some new feature on your on their phone or whatever you've got to get there fairly quickly to be able to compete with them and and if in the, in your next release that's coming up if you haven't addressed it that is going to be a problem for you and that's and that and you might have to throw away something that you spent a lot of time working on that actually well it's no good now that's that's old news but what's the point of finishing it if you if it's old news and i think there is a big resistance always and i and i, I do find um and and this is something i've probably not 
delved into much is the reports of the number of projects that fail um, mm. is always touted around as being a very big number. But what does failure mean? And that's so you could turn around and say, or oh, fail or late. Well, if you look at the original scope of it, if that original scope is irrelevant and you cancel a project, is that a failure? Yes, that's one of my favourite questions. Yeah, is it? And and or, or then on the other thing is, if you have a project that was scoped, the world changed, you rescoped it, it takes another year to deliver it, is it late? And And I'm not suggesting we just not try not measure lateness or or or, um, or failure on anything it's just it, it's how we gather those statistics and how we see them and because of uncertainty hence the reason for the projects and being able to turn on a dime when we need to um if we've we've got to be organizations have got to be ready to do that and governments and um uh, charities and every everything needs to be um built in with a level of agility because society changes our environment's changing if suddenly the water levels raise three or four levels three or four inches or whatever we need to do something different and we need to do it quite quickly we can't sit and pontificate building something um a flood defense for something that's two inches too short you'd have to change it wouldn't you indeed indeed yeah sorry it's one of those ones uncertainty is um it's it's hard to um plan for <laughs> obviously yeah. we walked um, my partner and i walked hadrian's wall a few years ago and i've got a lovely um picture that i use when i'm talking about project management now of me sitting on the wall and looking out because of course the irony there was by the time they finished building that wall they realized they didn't need the wall there they needed it about 50 miles and further north i think it was <laughs> So that type of problem has been around since the Romans were here. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's not just us then. No, 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 no. <laughs> but there is one other thing I probably haven't mentioned yet that I see as a problem with the boundary we often build around um, projects. And that is, we've, we've already discussed about the orientation around solutions. So you have in mind you're going to build a computer system or these days it'll be a website or an app or something so you get the right experts in and you don't necessarily have all the experts you might need to tackle the un real underlying problem and we also get narrower and narrower in our focus i mean agile has done a, a great deal in terms of addressing many of the problems of projects starting and then just carrying on and developing a life of their own mm, and never actually yeah. really useful. it has done fantastic um made fantastic inroads into that but what it has also done though is intended to increase um our focus on the product or the end result um based on a certain expert knowledge and one of the case studies um i i drew on in my work was uh, a coastal erosion project where they sort of the experts in the experts um, pontificated on what should be done and came up with a proposal and I, I forget exactly how they found out but there was some specific um, characteristics of the bit of coastline there that the locals were all aware of and actually when they engaged with that local knowledge they came up with a completely different and totally for the, from the experts point of view counterintuitive solution to the problem they were trying to address oh, right. so this idea about listening and learning I think also has a dimension around listening and learning from i want to call it sort of local experts and maybe non 
maybe non-specialist experts sometimes. I mean, obviously around the whole the whole B word, there was an awful lot of talk about being fed up with experts um, and, and experts of different sorts were sort of widely criticised. Um, and clearly there, there, there are plenty of occasions when we do need that expert um, and knowledge, but we also need to find ways of surfacing knowledge that is embedded within our communities, within society, maybe even within the natural world itself. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, and well, I think you get, um, and it draws to another um, interview that I'll be doing. Um, uh, I haven't got the date on that yet, but at some point it was, a, which is around the idea of of taking different um, design solutions from different um, industries, and, and and that kind of alludes to that as well. It's kind of look beyond what you normally look at to actually. Um, solve a solution and as you say asking the wrong person the, the person who doesn't know how to do it and it kind of draws to the line of something when I'm trying I always try to well, I describe myself as the project dog sometimes where if someone is stuck with a problem I'll get them to explain it to me and yes. I because I'm dumb enough for them to need to have to break it down to the constituent parts and I can ask questions that they may not ask themselves and then when I ask a question, they'll go, oh, yeah, I haven't thought that. Because I've, I've asked the, not not from a point of knowledge, but from a point of um, just trying to understand more. And then that'll spark a connection of a few other things. And, and I think it happens. Um, it's that uh, sort of thing where you've got the little person, sit, uh, uh, maybe one of my daughters, when I'm trying to explain something, if they're just saying why. And you keep on saying, well, why do you do it that way? Well, why are we doing that? And why are we doing you get to the end and you go, don't know why we're doing that. We should be doing this. <laughs> but it's that. And, and, and when too much knowledge can stop you doing those and questioning those uh, yes. things that you know work. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so it's been a fascinating conversation as I knew it would be. It, really, it challenges me, this whole thing on how I can um, take these uh, manifesto items and how I can apply it and how I can think about it within my own role and I, I think everyone out there has probably um, got the same uh, challenge uh, if there was kind of one thing that you would you would pick from this what would you say is the the other aside from grabbing a copy and having a read of it um, getting engaged what's the one thing that you would say to our listeners that they should maybe think about or take from what we're talking about today um, I suppose one of the things we've heard quite a lot about is the fact that people have one set of values that they are keen to live up to now, certainly in their personal lives, like recycling and reusing and those sorts of things. And they suddenly, when they're at work, they feel as though they have to be somebody different. So I think the challenge for us all now is to work out how we can make that be more confident to be that same person at work to ask those difficult questions. Um, I mean, I know some of the consultant project managers we, we talk to obviously are in the um, sort of luxury, have the luxury of walking away from projects they don't feel are ethical um, or don't feel they match their own values. And most of us have mortgages to pay though and perhaps aren't yeah. feeling quite that confident. So I think actually understanding what new knowledge we need, how we can. Um, 
I don't even want to say the word persuade other people, but just, I mean, if somebody, if we've highlighted to somebody the impact that's going to be negative of something and somebody, other people make that decision, then we've done our best. And I think we need to be, pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I did all I could. Um, so I think learning how we do that and how we feel much more comfortable in ourselves is probably one of the biggest challenges we face today. Um, and certainly in, in terms of takeaways, obviously, if people have good examples of where they are doing things that they think other people might find useful in this area, we would love to hear from them. We would love to hear about case studies. Um, we've been working with our students to get them to write up where we know there is excellent work. Um, we want to be very inclusive. We know there are lots of initiatives. We think that they're all valuable. Our specific contribution is around trying to develop the competences of project managers and how we will develop better I use the word better in the context of extending our outcomes to be beneficial for the environment and for society, um, but to have better outcomes and how we can produce project managers that are more able to contribute to that. Um, and anything people would like to share with us, we're always very, very open to listening. And I would just like to commend everybody for all the little things you do that do contribute to this. Um, none of us can solve this problem alone. We all need to support each other. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So if people want to continue the conversation, read the, uh, the document, uh, what's, what's the best place to get either hold of you or grab copies of, of the, the manifesto, etc.? Where's the best place to jump? We have our own website, www.responsiblepm.com. It's currently undergoing a complete revamp because we're very conscious when we first created it, it was really a collaboration tool for people that we knew and we all knew each other it's not it, so we're now and hopefully in the next few days we have got the new one developed we just need to move migrate some material and add some material hopefully in a few days we will have this up and live the old one is still up there so certainly you can contact us through the website i'm at i'm fairly easy to find because i'm at bournemouth university so if you go to bournemouth university website you can google and, and find me quite easily um my colleague nigel has moved across to the university of portsmouth but we are still talking all the time and continuing to collaborate on on this so he's i'm sure similarly easily accessible through um portsmouth's website um and we also host a we, we've recently changed it. I don't know whether your readers or listeners are familiar with Meetups. It's a, an online platform where people can form groups that, that do just about anything you can imagine. We've been running the Digital Project Managers Bournemouth Meetup for a while and have just recently transformed that because we found ourselves talking about things that weren't just digital that's now the responsible project management meetup um so if you go onto the meetup website you'll be able to find responsible project management um we want to do more and more stuff virtually we want to do webinars um also oh, and, and i'm missing the um the uh, push for the the big thing we're working on right at the minute is going to be we are talking to the professional bodies um about hoping to declare or we will be declaring and we hope to encourage other organizations in probably not so much an individual level this is organizations including the professional bodies that the year 2021 will be the year project management comes of age so it will be the internet we hope international year of responsible project management because 21 is the age that historically um people moved into adulthood and assumed mm -hmm. their society Responsibilities. So we hope 2021 will be the year that project management 
really does move from being a technical discipline to being professional and accepting those responsibilities to wider society. So we're currently working with um, and talking to a range of organisations to make sure we have at least 21 events, some of which will be webinars and some of which will, which will be events at different universities that bring together practitioners and researchers and students um, to start to continue the conversation. And then we hope by the end of 2021 to be launching something that we anticipate at the moment might be called the Responsible Project Management Academy. Um, but we would like to think that by then project management, everybody will be being responsible and there'll be, it will become business as usual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the next, that's the main goal, isn't it? Is to, like you say, by getting these professional bodies involved, um, having them uh, embed that as part of what they um are trying to elicit to the profession will um, hopefully then that will uh, help move that that conversation forward and, that, and uh, yeah that'd be brilliant so uh, just final thing then um, thank you very much for coming on uh, the podcast um, it's been a fascinating uh, interview and um, again thank you very much and have a lovely evening Thank you, Nigel. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. You've certainly got me thinking in things in um, putting things together, perhaps that I hadn't before. So it's been valuable from my perspective as well. And I hope your listeners um, enjoy our discussion. Thank right, you I'm, very sure, much. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. I know I did. And it made me um, think even more about the, uh, the impact I might have. Um, I think we talked quite a bit about the sponsorships and how um, sponsors of projects and SEOs and SROs kind of have that power in their hands, but we as project managers can influence it. So I think uh, you guys should just get out there and be more responsible, I think. And that really is all I've got to say. Except one little thing is if I could ask a favor. Uh, if each of you could share this podcast with one friend and recommend it, I would be incredibly grateful. I'd like to get the messages that I'm getting from a lot of these PMs out there and I'm using the social media. Um, but obviously, you guys know that if someone recommends something to you, you're more likely to have a listen to it rather than seeing someone you don't know just going shouting into the social media, please listen. So I'd really appreciate it. And if you tag me in, that'd be great as well. So have a, a fantastic, today is Valentine's Day when I'm recording this, so have, I hope, the love is in the air for you all. Cheers now, bye. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. <laughs>